Hopefully that. Ta-da! <laughs> I, uh, I hope it stays. I don't know if that fixed it or not. Uh, so, so waiting is difficult for me because I want to make sure I get uh, what I want. And so if I, if I wait for, for you, for somebody else to, to do it, right, it might not be done the way I, I want it to or the way I think it needs to be. Or um, I, if I wait for you to get it for me, it might not be um, what I want. If, if, here's the big one that gets me. If I wait for the next one, this is where Andrea and I get into stress. If we wait for the next car, the next deal, the next motorcycle, it might not be as good as this one. Uh, and so I, I just, I'm just not good at, at waiting. And so I, I think the number one reason for me that I don't like waiting is that waiting is difficult because it minimizes my ability to manipulate the outcome so that I get what I want. Does anybody else feel that way? Like I want to get to busy because I want to get wh- what I want. I want to get the outcome that I, um, that I ex- expect. Um, I, I, I also, number two, I also feel like I, I want to feel like I've accomplished something. Like I've, I've got in there, I got my hands dirty, I got it done, and, and because I did it, like I'm, I'm worthy, I'm capable, I'm handy, right? They don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. And so I, I want to get in there and get it done. And so I feel like a bystander in my own story if I'm not busy getting those things done. And then the outcome may not be by my doing, if I'm just waiting. And so waiting is difficult for me because it kind of takes me out of the spotlight, right? In my story, if I'm waiting, I feel like I'm leaving the outcome up to somebody else, and that's a struggle. Whatever your personal reason for not liking waiting, I don't think that really matters. I think the bottom line is that we just don't like to wait as a, a people. Now, earlier this year in uh, the series that we've gone, the messages that we've talked about, uh, we talked about the gospel, right? That Jesus came proclaiming the gospel. And the, the gospel, the word gospel, the Greek word gospel means good news. And, and, and the, the, it was used of somebody who came like from a battle and uh, maybe your side won. And so the guy who comes back... Uh, pronouncing the good news, that the battle is won, that you're victorious, that word, good news, is, is gospel. And, and so it was a reason to celebrate and, and to cheer. And so in, in Mark 1 and in Mark 8, Jesus makes four gospel declarations, so good news declarations. And, and, and he says that um, I'm the king of God's kingdom, um, and that I'm not like any other king, Jesus says, right? So I'm, I'm a crucified king, and I'm a resurrected king. And that, was, that part was difficult for them to, to understand because a king was not supposed to die because then his kingdom dies. And so this was a revolutionary kind of thing uh, with Jesus. And so he makes these declarations uh, about himself as the king of God's kingdom, um, but then he's killed, and then he's resurrected. And and so then Jesus says in Mark 1 and Mark 8 that if anybody wants to follow me or wants to be a part of this kingdom that I'm the king over, they should repent and believe and follow after me, after Jesus. And so this is how we define the gospel here at, at real life. 
Jesus the King died in our place and rose as our defender, inviting us into a relationship with the Father where we can live our real lives through the Holy Spirit's power as we daily surrender to Jesus' reign and wait for his return. Now, Jesus' early followers absolutely believed that he was God's king. Like by the time that, that Jesus was killed, like they were, they were all in. We believe you are the Messiah, you're the king that was to come. Thousands of years that's been, been prophesied and, and you're the guy. What they didn't understand was how Jesus' death fit into God's plan. That was the part that they struggled with. Like they thought Jesus was going to physically overthrow Rome, kick them out of Israel, and then demand allegiance from everyone in the world. Like they thought that's what Jesus had come to do. And so they had this nagging question. How could the king choose a cross instead of a scepter? Like that doesn't make any sense. Why would a king allow himself to be killed instead of taking his right, rightful place on the throne? That just didn't make sense to them. And so this is how Luke describes what the early followers of Jesus were going through. This is in Acts chapter 1. For 40 days after Jesus had suffered and died, he proved in many ways that he had been raised from death. He appeared to his disciples and he spoke to them about God's kingdom. And while he was still with them, he said, don't leave Jerusalem yet. Wait here for the Father to give you the Holy Spirit, just as I told you he has promised to do. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And while the apostles were still with Jesus, they asked, Lord, are you now going to give Israel its own king again? Now, let me just um, pause there. Because your translation, if you happen to be following along, um, may say something like this. Um, Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and what both of those translations are really saying is, is this. Um, they were asking Jesus, are you finally ready to take your place as the king? Are you finally going to show everybody who you are? Are you finally going to uh, overthrow Rome? Are you finally going to push all the other leaders of Israel aside so that you can take your place as the rightful king? That's what they're asking him. And here's Jesus' response. You don't need to know the time of those events that only the Father controls. Here's what you need to be concerned about. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power, and then you will tell everyone about me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and everywhere in the world. Now, verse 3 tells us that even during the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he was still trying to get his disciples, his followers, to understand what God's kingdom was all about. Now, the kingdom was central focus of Jesus' ministry for three and a half years. Like the whole time he was preaching and teaching and healing, he was constantly talking about the kingdom of God. He was revealing what it's like to be a part of the kingdom, to be in this new kingdom that he was instituting uh, as the king. And, and even today, we're still trying to figure out how do we in our daily lives live as a part of the kingdom? What does it mean to be a part of God's kingdom in the way that we function with other people, that we deal with other people, that we, we get through our lives and our family? What does it look like to be a part of the kingdom of God? 
Understanding the kingdom of God is important for Jesus' followers because our role as, as followers of Jesus is to make the kingdom of God present in our daily lives. And we do that by living our lives according to kingdom standards. And we don't um, worry like those without hope, the Bible says. And we don't give in order to get back. We give because God was generous and gave to us. And so we want to be generous like him. We don't hold grudges. We're generous in our forgiveness and mercy as well because God was generous to us in those things. We trust and we speak life and we step in and step up for those who are vulnerable and in a difficult spot. We love and we pray and we help others, even our enemies. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And, and that was really the point of the last series that we're in, we were in. The I Say to You series in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus kind of lays out the foundational understandings and way that we function within his kingdom. And so we learned in that series how Jesus expected his followers to behave in the world. And, and I think we could probably sum up that series like this. Jesus calls us as his followers to live crucified and resurrected lives where we daily surrender to Jesus' reign as we wait for his return. Like that's right out of our gospel definition. But when we look at um, verse 6, it's obvious that the disciples still didn't get it. Are you now going to give Israel its own king? Are, are you now going to ascend to the throne? Are you now going to make who you are known to the rest of the world? They wanted Jesus to get busy overthrowing the Roman Empire and establishing Israel, this is going to freak you out, as the one world government. That's what they wanted. That's what they expected. That's what or how they had read all of the Old Testament passages about the Messiah. That when the Messiah comes, when the king comes, when God's king comes, he's going to overthrow everybody else and he's going to become the one world government. That's the way it was going to be. That's what they expected. And they wanted Jesus to get to work doing what they thought he was supposed to do. They did not want to wait. Waiting is difficult because we want to try and control the outcome and make sure we get what we think we deserve. And that's exactly where the disciples especially, because we're, we're told about it, it's exactly what the 12 disciples thought. You remember there's a story about James and John and their mother who goes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, when you become the king, when you overthrow the Roman Empire, when you step on the heads of the religious and uh, uh, political elite here in Jerusalem and you become the king of Israel, will you let my two boys be your, you know, number one and two, your right and left hand in, in your kingdom? Because she thought, like everybody else thought, Jesus, you need to get to work. You need to be the king like we think you are. There's so many people, um, we just can't sit still, right? And, and I'm in, included in that. Like when there's stuff to be done, when you got to be like, let's get after it. Let's do it. Let's get it over with and get on to the next thing. Where there's something to do, we want to get it done. And the disciples felt like they had been waiting, not just three and a half years, but for thousands of years. 
And so it was time for Jesus to take the crown. And instead, what Jesus tells them to do is to wait. Wait. And they're like, no, we've been, we've been waiting for three and a, and a half years. We've been waiting long enough. We've been waiting for thousands of years. It's time for you to get busy. And, and Jesus says, no, you need to wait for what the Father is going to give you, that this promised Holy Spirit. And, and unlike the, the Holy Spirit, like the disciples understood, we talked about Holy Spirit, they, it was unlike the Holy Spirit in creation, because, right, it says that um, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters of the deep. The Holy Spirit was there in, in creation. The Holy Spirit is the, is the one, that Scripture says, that, that helped to bring the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and lead the way to them. The Holy Spirit was involved in Old Testament stuff from the beginning. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets of, of old. But this time, Jesus says, wait, because the Holy Spirit is going to do something different. It's going to be different than any other time in our history or the history of the world. This time when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be, the word is baptized that's used, but the word really means immersed. You're, you're going to be um, completely covered by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be like dunked. It's like getting in a pool, right? You're going to be completely soaked with the Spirit. Like you're going to get the full dose of the Holy Spirit. And, and so this is a big deal. And so you need to wait for this to happen. So Jesus tells them to wait instead of work. And what I want for us to, to really get a hold of today is that, is that waiting is not worthless. Waiting is not worthless when it comes to spiritual things. And, and really, when it comes to a lot of areas in our lives, waiting is not worthless. Did you ever play um, a sport in, in high school or maybe, maybe college? Anybody ever play a sport? Maybe you're good, good at it. I, I played. As, I wasn't really good at it, but I, but I played uh, basketball all, uh, all growing up. And and leading up to the game, right, that was usually a, like a Friday night game or whatever, like during the week, like you just get, you just get amped up for that, right? Lots of adrenaline and Friday comes and you got to dress up to get to school and, and man, you're just ready to get on the court and get after it and do what you're going to do. And you're just very excited, like I just couldn't wait to get there, just full of energy before the game. And so what does the coach do with all of these young kids that are just like just bubbling up, you know, like caffeine? And I, don't, I don't know how kids today, because they're probably like drinking Rockstar or Monster or whatever, and then going like just, ah, just crazy. And, and so what does the coach do? Does the coach just like, well, you know, just, just pace uh, back and forth or whatever, just twiddle your thumbs, right? Or no, coaches are, are smart. And so what the coach does is he had us warm up. Warm up. And so in basketball, we had those drills that we were supposed to do uh, before the game started. And so we did the, like the, the uh, layup drill and whatever, and we bounced the ball off the back of the rim and all that stuff. And we did those drills to instill again before you play those fundamentals, that muscle memory kind of, kind of thing. And so we had to do those drills. And we, and we took time out to stretch 
And to do that and focus and everybody together would stretch together to keep our bodies limber and prevent injuries. And, and then we'd sit down and we'd go over the plays and he'd mark them out on the, on the board to keep our minds sharp and, and occupied. For the follower of Jesus, waiting isn't worthless. It really is the warm-up. It's, it's God saying, look, you've got to be prepared for what's going to come next. Jesus knew something that we so often forget, that we can't do what Jesus has called us to do without Jesus doing it through us. We, we think we're doing things on our own, right? We want to like pull myself up by my bootstraps and get after it and let's get it done. And we forget that over and over again in Scripture, we're told that the only way we accomplish anything for the kingdom is if God is working that out through us. In, in John 15, 5, Jesus said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like there's nothing good for the kingdom that you will ever do outside of that relationship with Jesus. Like we need him in order to accomplish the things that he's called us to do. And so if we're going to live our real lives, like our, our gospel definition states, making present the kingdom of God in our world, it will only be through the Holy Spirit's power. Through Jesus working in us by Holy Spirit to accomplish all that God wants to do through us. And what does God want to do what does God want for us to do? What does God have for us to do? Well, Jesus lays it out in um, verse 8. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power, and then you will tell everyone about me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and, and what that meant for the, for, the, for the disciples, the followers, was that... Um, it's going to start small, those people that are closest to you that you know, and then it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's, that's what this is saying. Jerusalem is where they were, the geographical location they were in, the city they were in. Judea is the kind of the country or the county that they were in. Samaria was the, the next kind of state over, and then all the world. And so Jesus says, what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to give you power, and you're going to share about Jesus to those you know, and then to those you might be acquainted with, and then to those you don't know, and like even your enemies, like Samaria was an enemy, and then to people all around the world. And so the Spirit is going to come on you, and He's going to give you power that you didn't have before, power that you can't get on your own, and apart from Holy Spirit, you have no power in which to accomplish the plan that, that God has, has laid out. And then God's plan again was to tell everyone about Jesus. And that's a huge task, right? Like we're still trying to accomplish that today. I, I remember growing up as a kid and, and, and having people in church talk about, well, Jesus isn't going to come back until the whole world knows and so we got to send missionaries out to all these remote places of the country and around the world uh, in order to share the, the gospel, the message of Jesus to these people. And only until those people in the far corners of the world hear about Jesus will, will he come back. 
I remember kind of like wait, like waiting. Okay, we got to make sure we get the Bible out there, and we get people got to be out and missionaries and tell them and whatever. There are more people now in the U.S. who don't know about, not just don't believe in Jesus, but literally don't know. They've never heard about Jesus before um, in our country than outside of our country. Isn't that crazy? There are people here in the U.S. that don't know about Jesus. Like they never had anybody speak about him in their their lives. They've never come in contact with anybody who has shared Jesus or told them about Jesus. I'm like, it's not the far corners of the world anymore. It's right here in our neighborhoods and in in um, in our city. So look what the um, disciples did. They waited just as they had been told. But they didn't work, and they didn't worry, and they didn't, like, wander about the future, like, talk, oh, what's going to happen, and what's this going to be like, and how's the Holy Spirit going to come? Verse 14 tells us that they prayed. They often met together, and they prayed with a single purpose. Then the NIV, it reads this way. They all joined together constantly in prayer. They weren't waiting. They were warming up. By praying together for themselves and for each other, they were reminding themselves of who God is and who they are. What God's role was and what their role was. But perhaps most importantly, When they waited, they were being obedient. Did you ever hear um, your mom, uh, mom, I don't know, mom probably said it more than than dad, but you ever hear a, a parent say, if I have to tell you one more time, right? Like it's just like the world is gonna blow up. Like it's gonna be bad. Whatever it is, it's gonna be bad if I have to tell you one more time. And, And I feel like when you read scripture, like, like God is doing that with the Israelites and, and, and then with us. Like, man, if I have to tell you um, one more, like, why don't you, you get it? I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to obey. This was God like over and over again in Scripture. He's like, look, you're not understanding. Like you're making all of these sacrifices, but what I really want is for you to surrender to me. I really want you to be obedient to me, not just make make sacrifices. I want you to surrender. I want you to obey me so that you don't have to make all of these offerings. And so you can go to um, Jeremiah 6, 19 and 20, Hebrews 10, 8, or 1 Samuel 15, 22. These are all places, and there's more, where God tells the people to stop sacrificing the offerings um, and instead obey. He's like, you don't get it. You, th- you think all I want is the blood of goats and bulls and, and, and flour. Like, I don't need any of that stuff. What I want is for you to follow me, to trust me, to obey me from your heart. And so we get to, we get to Acts chapter 1, and then Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And so by waiting, they were being obedient to Jesus. And, and so being obedient to God, I, I think sometimes we feel like it's about um, subjugation, right? It's like God is going, obey me or else, right? I'm going to put my thumb down. I'm going to strike you down. Or like it's, like it's um, 
like a dictator, right? You must obey me. I demand that you, you obey me. But obedience in the kingdom of God is not about God like ruling over us, like subjugating his people. It's about surrender. So it's not God forcing us to obey him. It's God saying, look, if you loved me and you understood my love for you, you would surrender to what I want for you because I want the best for you. And that's really what he wants. That's really what obedience is about. It's about me saying, God, my way is not going to get me where I really want to to go or to be. My way is not going to get me closer to you. And so I'm going to surrender to you by being obedient to your word so that all of these things, Jesus says, look, I'm going to give you all of this. If you don't worry about it, you obey, you seek first the kingdom of God. That's about surrendering to God. He says, and I'm going to give you all the things that you need. It's not about God demanding obedience. It's about us trusting his leadership. We're allowing God to do what only God can do so that we can then do what he's called us to do. That's the relationship we have with God, surrendering to God so that he can do through us what we can't do on our own. We will never accomplish anything significant for the kingdom without the king. That means prayer isn't an accomplishment, it's an instrument. Think about it. Prayer isn't an accomplishment, it's an instrument. So Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, which God had talked about and, and had promised. And when they waited, they didn't just worry and they didn't work uh, and they didn't wonder what was going to happen. They prayed together. They used prayer like an instrument. So think about it like, um, I don't know if you can see it, but one of these guitars that's up here uh, on the stage. Uh, guitars used by the band. DJ and Jared, Andrea, Buster all uh, play guitar, and they all have practiced for years to be able to play their instrument and, and do it proficiently. They, they learn the strings, what each of the strings, what notes they are, and how to tune that. And then they learn the fret and how it changes the note of the string as you move your fingers on the fret. Then they learn the chords and how that all goes together and the right fingerings to make that happen. And, and they can do some pretty incredible things um, with their, their instruments. And um, I, I've been meaning to show you that new song that we've been doing. Tristan, what's the name of that new song? Jesus is coming back. You know that new song we've been doing? It starts out with this really cool organ sound. You, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Let's just pretend like you do. Nod your head. Uh, that really cool organ sound that that song starts with, Jared does that on his guitar. It's, it's not landing on the keyboard. It always freaks me out. But it's really cool. And it sounds like an, an organ. And so they can do some pretty incredible things with their instruments. But even with all of their like music theory and knowledge of how all that stuff works together, without the guitar or the, the drums or the keyboard, they can't reproduce the same effect on their own. Like I don't think any of us would come if we said the band was going to play, but they weren't going to play with any instruments. No thank like I've heard some of them. No thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'll pass if, you know, if, if Kevin's just going to beatbox, it just wouldn't be the same, uh, I, I don't think. 
So here's the, um, <laughs> prayer is, is like a musical instrument. We have to become proficient at it. We have to learn how it, it works and what it's capable of. And, and then with prayer as our instrument, um, this beautiful music can be made. And this, uh, this incredible thing happens when, we're, we're, when we play that instrument to God and God gets involved through the Holy Spirit. It's just incredible what goes on, learning how it works and this beautiful music. But without it, without prayer, we can't expect to have the same outcome. We can't accomplish on our own what we can with prayer as an instrument and a part of our lives. We can't reproduce the outcome on our own without engaging prayer as a believer. And so the disciples understood that, and they prayed to God. And we're not told exactly what they prayed, but we know they prayed together, and they prayed consistently. And, and in the contemporary English version, it, it says that they, pl- they prayed with a singular purpose. God, we know that, that, that some incredible things are going to happen, and we want to be ready for that, whatever you want us to do. So here's the challenge um, for, for this week. If you are in a time of waiting in, in your life, maybe there's some stuff going on, maybe spiritual, maybe it's relational, um, maybe it has to do with your job or your finances or whatever, and, and you're just in this thing or there's... We're just waiting. And I want to get to the next thing. I want to move to the next thing, but I'm just kind of stuck here. Here's the challenge. Stop trying to accomplish God's will on your own. Stop trying to accomplish your own will on your own. Stop working for something that you can't attain by yourself. Because I'm telling you, whatever you get by your own work and your own wisdom and, and, and whatever you get is, is not going to be as good as what God has for you. You might get something, but it's not going to be God's best. And, and so embrace the wait. Embrace the wait and use it as a time of warm-up. Now, too many followers of Jesus default to two extremes. Either we try too hard or we don't try at all, right? Either we're going to do all the work or we just sit back and go, well, God said he was going to take care of me. God said he was going to give me this job or God said he was going to provide fighting, so I'm just going to sit here and wait. So we either work too hard or we, or we don't do anything. And it seems like we're in one of those two extremes. Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And so that's the, the fine line that we walk, the balance we try to, to, to walk here, is that, is that it takes us involved in what God wants to do, and then we do what we do, and God does what he does, and then something beautiful comes out of it. And so I say it this way. We can't do it on our own, and God won't just do it for us. He's not a helicopter parent. He's just going to swoop in and go, oh, let me take care of that. He wants our effort, and then, and then he gets involved and does what only he can do. You cannot accomplish God's plans by your own power. You need the power 
Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring. And so we go back to John 15, 5. Apart from Jesus, we can't do anything. And so the challenge today is to embrace the waiting instead of trying to get out of it. Embrace the waiting and, and, and do that by warming up, by praying and preparing yourself for whatever God has next. And so maybe if prayer is just not a part of your life, like it's like you just, maybe it's a passing thing or whatever, a little bit here, a little bit there. I want to encourage you, if, if prayer is not a normal part of your life, to set aside five minutes every day this week where you just pray. And, and prayer is not, a, like we think we have to know the right words and we got to use the these and the thous and, and, and whatever, like King's English. That's not it. It's just going, God, like here I am. And maybe you'd be quiet. for Maybe it's just being quiet for five minutes. God, what do you have for me? What do you, what do you want to do with me today? Maybe it's recognizing the thing, like, God, how can you love me so much when I do this and this and this and this? Like, understanding our adoption in, in him and being a part of his, his family. Or, or, or maybe you just go, God, like, man, you showed up in an incredible way this last week, and just thank you for that. And I want to praise you for, for those things. And so just set aside five minutes every, every day. Set your Set your watch, your timer, your phone, whatever, and just dedicate five minutes to however God, the Holy Spirit, leads your heart in that um, prayer time. Learn it like an instrument, okay? And, and it, like it takes practice, right? You've got to dedicate that. Learn to use prayer to its full capacity. And so if you're a normal prayer, like prayer is just a part of your life, maybe add five minutes to that, or, or maybe be more um, conscientious of it, or maybe pray for specific things each day, because prayer will warm you up for all that God wants to do through and for you in your life and for others. And like being used by God, it all starts with prayer. And so we're going to start that right now. Let's, let's pray right now. Father God, I, I thank you um, in the times in my life where you have forced me to wait. Because through those times, you have uh, grown me in ways that wouldn't have happened uh, otherwise. And, and God, you know I still struggle with, with that. I still want to get to work. I want to do something. I want to know that something is happening. But um, help me and help us to embrace the waiting. And to really learn to uh, not just to wait, but to wait on you. And to pray for your timing. Um, and for you to do the things, as Jesus said, there's, there's things that, um, that, God, that you have control of, and we don't have control of those things. And so would you help us to surrender to you, to be obedient, because we trust you to do the best thing in our lives. And, and so in our times of waiting, would we use them as a time to warm up spiritually so that we can be ready when you call on us to do anything that you ask. We would just, we just like, when you show up, we're like, hey, I'm ready. Like, put me in coach. I'm ready to play. Whatever it is, God, help us to be ready to do it, to be warmed up spiritually, and then to watch you accomplish things that we could never accomplish on our own. God, help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to leave you with this. Prayer Prayer helps to prepare you 
for what God has prepared for you. Now, there are things that God wants to accomplish in your life, and prayer helps you get to that place. But if you're not warmed up, you won't be physically or spiritually or mentally ready when God is ready to move. And, and I want to promise you that he will absolutely move. And so the question then becomes, God knows what he's doing and he's always ready. The question is, will you and I be ready to move with him? I, I hope that is the case. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.